This message by Pastor Eric Ludy was given at the church at Ellerslie in Windsor, Colorado. As a ministry, we desire to see the return of strong, triumphant Christianity in the church today. We make these messages available free of charge for the purpose of strengthening the body of Christ and igniting bold faith in the hearts of believers around the world. The ministry of Ellerslie is made possible through the prayers and financial support of listeners like you. If you have been personally impacted by Ellerslie's messages, please consider partnering with us as we build world changers for Jesus Christ through gospel-centered discipleship. Visit ellerslie.com to learn more. Now, here's Pastor Eric Ludy. I am beginning, I am sort of hesitantly and haltingly starting a series. And you notice that last week I didn't want to acknowledge I was starting a series. But I may be. This may be only a two-part series. I don't know. But it's called The Spiritual Biography of a Nation if I do uh, continue in this series. If this is the end, I don't know if you could really call a two a series. Uh, that's more of a two-part uh, message. But I have a, a significant burden for where we're at as a country right now. And I also know a lot of our history. And so it's it's sort of an exercise in my soul to know how to respond to some of the things that we're dealing with. And because I can give just what the truth is, but sometimes it actually helps, especially for those of us that are American, but even around the world, there's a lot of shadows to the American constitutional republic that have uh, cropped up. So there's a lot of people that hear even what uh, I could be teaching right now in different countries that would have similar elements that are very important for us to chew on and work through right now as Christians, okay? You're going to notice I'm never going to emphasize as Americans, here's what we need to do. As Christians, that's my entire emphasis. The fact that most of us in here are Americans is, uh, is a unique application of the truth I'm going to give. But if you were uh, Ugandan, you still are going to have an application of this same truth. And that's one of the elements that you can always test truth with. with. Is it transferable throughout the entire world? Is it transferable uh, throughout every generation? Because truth is. It's applicable everywhere. Uh, that's why the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel is a joke. Because it's, it works in North American Christianity in, you know, the... Uh, in this decade, basically, or I should say in this uh, range of time. It doesn't actually work all over the world. Uh, and so there's certain truths that are very, very significant for such a time as this. And I want to lift them up and focus uh, for a bit on them with the battle or the embattlement that many of us have been in on the personal level, on the corporate level in business, in the spiritual level in churches, in this country and with some of the unique Issues, the oversteps of government's uh, reach, you know, when they have closed things down and hampered normal functionality, it elicits response. And it, not, I can't say that all of us is the, that are in the church as Christians, though we are supposed to be marked by the character of Christ and all we do have responded in the character of Christ at every turn. And in other words, I want us to be freshly reminded of how we respond in the midst of of such extenuating circumstances, such times. If we were being thrown into prison, and you know, let's say half of us were going to be thrown into prison this week, I would want to give us the tools of how to go through that process as a Christian. Because there's two different ways. You could go kicking and screaming. You could go spitting in people's faces, you know, fighting, clawing, trying to get as much, wreak as much havoc upon those that are wreaking havoc upon you as you possibly can. 
And there's, it does not mean that there aren't ways in which you handle it that uh, could be a response. In other words, that doesn't mean silence because there's entire uh, renditions of going through difficulty that mean, hey, don't say anything, just passively accept it all. But I'm going to give you sort of a blend of how a Christian responds to a trial, to a loss of rights, at the same time how they appeal to their rights at the same time. It's like we're trying to walk a, a narrow ridge here of balance. As Christians, there's oftentimes two sides to it, just like two arms, two legs. We have two sides. If you just take one side of a truth, you have a tendency to be imbalanced. There's usually a complementary one that when you work them together, they create tremendous balance, and that is the body of Christ. It's how it's supposed to reveal in this culture. So you're going to see that tension that's going to come out in this. This is a tension that's been a part of American history from the very beginning. So Jesus Christ in Matthew 16, 25 is going to say, whoever would save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And so we have this idea of if you try and go out there and just protect your rights, protect your life, get your version of living the way you want it, you're going to lose life. And there seems to be this idea in the kingdom of heaven that first you give up your life, then you find it. In other words, all of us are after this life, but the way to get it is to give it up. And that's a strange thought, but that's the kingdom thought. The kingdom of heaven starts with a letting go of our life, and as a result, we inherit eternal life. And so how do you get eternal life? Well, you give up your life. Well, that's backwards because the way we are wired as humans is to hold on to our life. We're like bulldogs, and we will hold on to our life, and yet God says, yeah, you're going to lose it then. So the key starter package for us in the kingdom of heaven is to let go and is to give up our life. The American idea, there are rights and there are rights. Now, if you're, if you're getting this via podcast, that's going to be a little confusing. It sounds like I just said the same thing twice, right? There are rights, but that's a capital R rights. And it's even bold uh, up on the screen, right? So rights with a capital R and there are rights with a lowercase r, okay? This is actually a significant thing that most of us don't understand, which is why I'm literally taking an entire message and bringing it off the page to us. Because this isn't just the American idea. I'm not just talking about America. I mean, the fact that America comes up in this is sort of inconsequential, but it's fascinating, okay? There are rights and there are rights. Capital R rights and lowercase r rights. Earthly governments can determine lowercase r rights. But capital R rights come from God. Okay, this is actually the American idea. When you read the Declaration of Independence, you're going to recognize everything hinges upon this notion. They're going to say, hey, you know, we're not talking about lowercase rights. We're talking about capital R rights here. And the Declaration of Independence is going to use the phrase inalienable rights. It's not a term, we, we, most of us don't use the word inalienable uh, today. In fact, they're going to use the, the term unalienable. They're going to spell it different than we do. We've changed it over time to be inalienable, which still, it sounds better in our brain. When, when you look at unalienable, it, it, it makes you sort of get a little shiver. Uh, but inalienable, which of course doesn't make any sense to us. We see the word alien in it, and it gets us sort of weirded out. So most of us just don't even use the word, right? So it's important that we actually know what this means. 
Inalienable means unable to be taken away from or given away by the possessor. So I'm going to give you a, a metaphor for this. An inalienable right that Eric Ludi has is my lungs. My lungs are something that I possess, okay? They're not something that are yours, they're mine, and it should be clear to all of us. It should be self-evident that my lungs belong to me. And if you wanted my lungs, well, they're not something that you can get, nor can I give without giving up my life in the process. So if you took my lungs, you'd actually be committing murder to get them because the only way to get them is to separate my life from me, right? So as a result, that would be a symbol of an inalienable right, is my breath and my ability to breathe. And so you're going to see God link to this very idea. It's not the Declaration of Independence that came up with this idea. God understands this idea. He's the one that built this in. There are other rights like, uh, that, that we can appeal to, uh, that uh, I have the right to this property, okay? And that is not an inalienable right. That's a lowercase r right. And so I have a right, according to the uh, Constitution of the United States, according to my state government laws, and according to my county laws, and according to my city laws, for me to own this property. And here's the boundary lines. That is actually not an inalienable right, okay? That could be taken from me without, uh, and there could be just reason for it, but you can't take someone's lungs from them uh, without killing them. So right is a just claim, a legal title, an ownership, the legal power of exclusive possession and enjoyment. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. In the Declaration of Independence, which I'm going to read you the second uh, paragraph of the Declaration of Independence. This will be a good history lesson for all of us. And it's going to mention these three things. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, which is really fascinating. When you ponder those three things, yeah, you nod along and you're like, yeah, you know what, that, that does make sense. That's, in a sense, the lung system of each of us as individuals. And if you trample upon these three things, you really mess up what life is. And so, yeah, I can understand that. These are inalienable rights. So the Declaration of Independence says this in the, in the second paragraph. We hold these truths to be self-evident. In other words, it should be obvious, guys. Just, just look at the situation here. That all men are created equal. That they are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights. That among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. So why do we have a government? To protect those inalienable rights. And so as a result, that's part of the mindset of what government is. Government is not to you know, set up school systems and to tell the church what to do. Actually, the government is simply there to help protect what those inalienable rights are. Hey, we'll preserve this for you. That's why a government is set in place. That whenever any form of government becomes destructive of those ends, it is the right of the people to alter or to abolish it. In other words, if a government begins to overstep those bounds and, and encroach upon those inalienable rights, well, then that's an unhealthy government. And so it's good for the people then to reject it. Of course, this is, again, the Declaration of Independence. This isn't the Bible. This is basically the people, the, the colonial uh, people that are saying, look, King George III, you've overstepped your boundaries, and now this has become a corrupt. It's no longer a representative uh, a government of uh, uh, us. We're not asking for this. You're, you're telling us how to live. You're encroaching upon our inalienable rights, so we reject you. 
and laying its foundations on such principles and organizing its powers in such form as to them shall seem most likely to affect their safety and happiness. So let's imagine that it's true that we have inalienable rights. And say we even have the inalienable rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Now we encounter Jesus Christ. And this is very, very important because there's a difference between constitutional thinking, like American thinking, and Christian thinking. It does not mean that the two can't dovetail. There are many places where they do. The Constitution is inspired in a great, a great part by the Scriptures. And so it's not that the two can't coalesce. It's that we need to make sure that we test the Constitution against the Word of God. And as a result, we are servants to the Word of God, and we treat the Word of God as if it is, in fact, God's Word. We don't treat the Constitution as if it's an inspired document, even though it is pretty amazing, okay? I, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of it. I'm a big fan of the Constitution. I'm a big fan of our form of government. I think it's pretty amazing, right? And I get excited about it whenever I study it. However, there is a distinction between the two, and it's important that we are Christians first. So we enter into the kingdom of heaven. We believe in Jesus. What does that mean? One of my illustrations that I've often used for it is this ivory wall that stretches 10 million miles to the right, 10 million miles to the left. So if you were thinking of going around the right side, you know, that's why I'm making it so long, 10 million miles. That's going to be hard to, to actually get around, right? And so then you're like, well, I'll go around the left side. Oh, no, 10 million miles to the left. And then one of you, I, just, I could see it, uh, probably Sam Ash. He's going to say, I'm going to take a shovel and I'm going to dig underneath. I can't, Sam, it goes 10 million miles into the dirt. Okay, so Sam's like, oh, great. And then Kirk Smith, I could just see you. You're like, I'm going to climb over it. No, it goes 10 million miles high. In other words, it's the impassable wall. You can't get past it, right? Well, did I mention that there's one little hole right where the ivory wall meets the dirt? There's one little hole and you have to literally give up everything in order to get on your face and crawl through it. And so it is a forsaking of your life in order to enter in. You have to give up everything. And so when you recognize that you have capital R rights and you have lowercase r rights, when you enter into the kingdom of heaven, you know what you give up? You give up your capital R rights and you give up your lowercase r rights because that's how you enter in. When we enter in, we enter in different. We're not looking to hold on to everything. We're looking to lay down everything. Jesus Christ says in Matthew 16, 24, then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Let him deny himself, aparneomai, which I'll get into what that Greek word is, and look at that other part, and take up his cross. What does that mean? Give up his life. Give up his inalienable rights, his capital R. So he needs to give up who he is, what he has, where he's headed, because he is now owned and operated by someone new. I own my own lung systems. My breath is my inalienable right, and if you were to take it, that's a, that's a high-level criminal offense. But for God to take it, that's his business. He gets my breath. He gets my life. So Jesus Christ is going to say in Mark 8, 34, and when he had called the people to himself with his disciples also, he said to them, whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. 
Luke 9, 23, and then he said to them all, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Now we're going to see a repetition of this same quote, obviously. This is Jesus talking, and the different writers of the Gospels are going to bring this out. That is an emphasis in Scripture that is not to be overlooked. If something is said once in Scripture, it's huge because it's God's Word. The Holy Spirit is carried along the writers to actually enunciate that. When it's said multiple times, uh, take note. This is a highlighted understanding. Remember what Jesus says to, uh, well, remember uh, John that says at the very end of the, uh, the Gospel of John, he says, if all that Jesus did was written down, the world could not contain the books, right? So when it is written down, it obviously is of a highly concentrated, important uh, level. And so this one statement of you want to follow Jesus, you want to enter into that kingdom, you need to give up your capital R rights and your lowercase r rights. This is where we begin. So the word for deny yourself is aperneomai, which means to forget oneself to lose sight of oneself and one's own interests. Well, that's not a natural thing for us to do. Have you noticed that even though you've been a Christian, you have a tendency to think a lot about yourself and your own circumstances? You see, it's our bent to consider us, to consider ourselves. That's just how we're wired, and that is part of our problem. And what the Spirit of God wants to do is come in and rectify that problem to turn us outward so that we seek another's benefit instead of just our own. However, we are hotwired to return to a self-interest perspective. Aproneomai, which if you're going to pick up your cross daily, is to let go of that capital R right daily. So every day we wake up and we take back our lung system, our breath. And we're like, this is mine. And God says, would you give it back to me? And so every day when we wake up, first thing we're going to do is pick up our cross. We're going to head out and relinquish our life as if we were headed to Calvary every day. Aproneomai, to transfer over our inalienable rights. Deny yourself. So we have one shot at this thing called life. We have a body. We have time. We have resource. We have a circumstance, a family that we're in. We have dynamics. Each one of us is in a drama right now. It's a story. And God wants us to hand that story over to him. And that's what aperneomai means. Yes, if someone were to take that story from you and they were to rob you of your life, that's a high-level criminal offense. However, God's asking you to give it up. Not to just this world, not to some maniac out there, here's my life. No, to give it to God who created you. In fact, this is the proper way of setting right what has gone wrong, is God is actually supposed to be in control of your life. And yet, that's not natural for us. But this is how Christianity functions. You want to function in this body the way you're intended? You need to give up who you are to Jesus Christ. John 10, 18, Jesus is going to say, no one takes my life from me. Now, it actually says no one takes it from me, but he's speaking about his life in the context. No one takes my life from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down and I have power to take it again. This command I've received from my Father. Well, we've received a command as well. And that is, here's your life, you have it, and you need to lay it down of your own accord. God's not going to steal it from you. 
He's asking for it. And so Christianity blossoms into its fullest enunciation when we, of deliberate choice, give up our life. We deny ourselves. There's a cross sitting there, and we willingly pick it up. We willingly choose. We don't begrudge it. We say, God, I see what you've given to me. My proper answer and my show of worship, it's only reasonable worship too, is to actually make my life a living sacrifice and give my body as a living sacrifice unto him. The complementary truth. So I'm giving you two sides. Remember I talked about walking that ridgepole and it's like you have two sides to these things. One is to give up your rights. Okay, when we hear the idea of giving up our rights, giving up our life, giving up our breath, we oftentimes think, okay, that means I'm dead. <laughs> I'm going to die a martyr probably tomorrow, which it could mean that, okay? I'm not going to remove that off the table. However, for most of us on this earth and through Christian history, a Christian gives up their rights on one side, and then God teaches them how to use them. In other words, he makes them the steward of them on the other side. In other words, God, here's my lungs. And then the next day we wake up, it's like, God, I still have my lungs. He's like, yeah, because I want you to use them for my glory. In other words, God could take your life. He could spend you. That's his business, just like he spent his son. That's his business. He can do it as he sees fit, but oftentimes he is going to entrust it to you and say, okay, it's mine, but I'm going to let you steward it now but I want you to do with it as I ask you to do it. And that's what it means to be led of the Holy Spirit, to be governed by the Holy Spirit, to be controlled by the Holy Spirit. So the complementary truth to giving up your rights is when we give up these rights, we give them to God for him to do with as he sees fit. I think a lot of us think that, you know, God gets what we receive, what he receives from us, and then he just sort of throws it in the trash. And we're like, okay, I guess that's over with. God received it from us, and now he's like, yeah, we don't want that in your life. And so we give him our resource, and we're like, God, what are you going to do with that? He's like, I'm throwing it out because money's bad. And we're like, oh, boy, we could sure use that. However, you relinquished it. That does not mean that God just throws it out. He may say, thank you for that. Now here's how I want you to use it. But you're going to use it the way I lead you to use it instead of the way you think you should use it. And so when God gives these capital R rights, when we give these capital R rights up, we give them to God. We're not just handing them over to anyone, we're handing them over to God. And strangely, God oftentimes has a plan for them. And I could give you many examples in my own life where I have given things up to God and sometimes I've never received them back. And it's just like, adios. But other things, he actually has given back to me but in a consecrated fashion, where it's no longer mine, it's his, but he asks me to use it for his glory. So in Luke 23, 46, and when Jesus had cried out with a loud voice, he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Having said this, he breathed his last. Wouldn't that be nice if that was the statement of our life too, when we come to Christ? Just think about what this is. This is exactly what we're talking about, aproneomai is Jesus is breathing his last. Remember our, our, our old life? Yeah, it needs to breathe its last. It needs to commit or commend its spirit, this whole inner life, this whole breathing apparatus spiritually into his hands. And having said this, our old man breathed his last. In other words, we're supposed to be a new creature in Christ with a new lung system. We give up our old breathing system, which breathed the air we wanted to breathe on our terms, 
Instead, we say, God, I give up my life so I can now breathe heavenly air. Aperneomai, which is our word for deny oneself, to transfer over our inalienable rights and our citizenship rights. And so you'll notice I added something to that. I'm going to not just say the big rights, like our life, our liberty, and our pursuit of happiness. I'm not just going to say, yes, you need to be willing to die a martyr. You need to be willing to give up all that you have to Jesus, all your time and attentions and focus, which that's capital R stuff. But I'm also going to say now the small stuff. And I'm going to call those citizenship rights because I'm lacking a good term for them. But when we're talking about American rights, this is what oftentimes many of us are holding on to. We're holding on to smaller things too. Like, I have rights. You do. Under the Constitution of the United States, you have rights. However, here's what I would, I'm going to ask us as the church to do. To not give up those rights to our governor, but to give those rights to God. Do you see the difference? It's not to forsake them to just an earthly system and say, oh, well, I don't, I don't care about those. But it's actually to hand those rights, just like we did our lung system, over to God, to hand over our property, our resource, our ability to appeal, our ability to fight for the, the land rights that we have and the, the freedom of speech that we have, because we do have rights here in America. Every single human out there has something on both the capital level and the lowercase level. Some people on the lowercase level have a little box with some trinkets in it, and that's all they have, right, to their name. However, they will hold on to that for dear life. And God's saying, can I have it all? The capital stuff and the little stuff that you think is so inconsequential that you wouldn't think of giving it to me. You see, the best investment location in all the universe is the kingdom of heaven. And anything you give into the kingdom of heaven will never be lost. In fact, the interest that you gain on it is so massive that it would make you laugh out loud uh, and, or it would make you cry out loud if you ever thought of not giving something up and in the end you realize what you lost. What did Jim Elliott say? He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. What you are getting in giving up is so extreme and yet your motive isn't just to get from God, it's to please God. Look, at he gave his entire life to you. The least you can do is trust him with yours. He's like, how about that too? I've had so many times where he's, because my illustration that I used to give when we used to travel the world and speak was the kink kink. Do you guys remember that? You'd have, to, you'd have to be old school Eric and Leslie to remember the kink kink. Brent and Carrie's like, yeah, we remember those days. Uh, so God comes to the life of Eric Lutie and goes kink kink. That was the sound I always gave to it too. I'm like, who goes there? And God's on the outside going, uh, Eric, I need in. I, I want to come in. I'm like, what? Why can't she just sort of bless my life from the outside? I can give, you know, put a sign on my life which says, I believe. And then I get to still rule my inner life. I get to make decisions in here. But God needed to come in, so I let him have my entryway. I'm like, you can do whatever you want here, but I'm going to be back in my rooms. And then he starts knocking on rooms. And I had all sorts of rooms. I had a, a cool strut and a deep bassy voice. I had uh, the Denver Broncos, uh, which I had a whole shrine built to John Elway in there. Uh, there were all sorts of dimensions to my life that God had to enter into as small our rights. And he had to get access to these things. Of course, the reason Leslie and I would always speak on this is because one of the rooms was relationships with the opposite sex. And my right to be married, my right to pursue someone that I was attracted to, I was scared to death to give that up. Could you imagine if you gave up that, what God could do? And you see her over there, Eric, I'm like, 
her? Uh, I want you to marry her. I'm like, oh no! You know, because we have these ideas that God's agenda for our life is counter to the way he's wired us. When in actuality, he designed us for the fulfillment of this design in him. And when we trust our life and our future to him, we are never dissatisfied. That's what's amazing. Even if we were in a prison cell being tortured, the satisfaction that comes through the incomplete journey, I'm not saying that that's the end chapter is what I would emphasize. No matter what he takes us through, the difficulties and all, they end up being a grand triumph that all of us would say, that's a good story. I love that movie. What movie was it called? It was called The Life of Eric Ludi. Oh, it was a good one. All of us, I mean, you, you might not as be, be as convinced about the life of Eric Ludi, but your life, put your name on that, and you would be convinced. You give up your life to Jesus, he fulfills your life in a way that you never could. In all your machinations and human contrivances, you cannot come up with the grand story that God has for you. But to get it, you must aperneomai. You must deny yourself and pick up your cross and follow him. So the Abrahamic transfer of possessions... Remember the Isaac thing? Isaac, where did it come from? God. So it's an inalienable right, if you want to say it that way. We'll call it like a capital R right for, for Abraham. It's like, hey, this is from God. This is mine. And what does God say? I, I need that. What? God, through Isaac, you're going to, you know, bless me. It's, you're going to give me descendants like the sands of the seashore and the stars in the heaven. You can't take that. How many of us have had this kind of a conversation with God? It's like, God... You could take all this, but you can't take this. God has to have a full transfer of ownership of all that we have. If we have any Isaac that we think is excluded from the picture, God has to touch it. And he has to prove himself to us. You see, God's a good father. But we need to trust him with every dimension of our life. And we just have a tendency to put certain things in God categories. Like, you can have that, God. And it's usually the lesser stuff. And then we have our little stash over here of Isaac stuff, capital R stuff. We're like, oh, God, I'm going to hold on to this. And then we have a few little lowercase r things that are very precious to us too. And so we have a tendency to not kill the fatted calf for our God. We have a tendency to give him the lame calf over there. It's like, God, you take that one. But the fatted one is the best one. It's probably our, our, our friend. We have a name for the, that one, too. It's like, oh, this is my favorite one. And we hang out and sleep, he sleeps, in bed with, uh, sleeps in our bed at night is the fatted calf. And then the king comes to town. And what are we supposed to choose? The very best in our flock. When we allow the Spirit of God to search our flock and to select out the choicest one, that's when we know we've aperneomide. Yes, Lord, for you. You deserve this. I want you to have this. I want to celebrate your coming into my life. So the Abrahamic transfer of possessions, we lay them down. Listen to this second part. He now decides. You see, you'll see with the, the transfer of Isaac unto God, it has to be God's possession. And so Abraham has to be willing to raise the knife. And then God says, all right. Now he brings in a ram that was caught in the thicket. But now... Isaac belongs to God. Abraham has gone through that process of transferring, which is what all of us have to. Praise God, Isaac is still there, but Abraham could be asked tomorrow to, to lay him down again. He has to let go of Isaac and let God have his way in this boy's life. Matthew 5.3, when I first came to Christ, 
I read the book, The Pursuit of God by A.W. Tozier. And in the very beginning, I won't even want to say the first chapter, it was about the poor in spirit. And this is the concept. What I'm teaching you right now is how I entered into the kingdom of heaven. This was the mentality. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. If you want the kingdom of heaven, Eric, you need to become impoverished of every other thing you're holding on to right now. Everything. Allow the spirit of God to search your soul and gain rights to it. Those are now his rights, not yours. So you may still be in charge, like you make the decisions for it on a daily basis, but submitted to him. Moses, what's that in your hands? Oh, what? Uh, well, I have a rod. Each of us has something right now. Moses had a rod in his hand. Now, most of us aren't that impressed with a rod. He says, what, is, what does God say? Throw it down. He says, I want to use that rod. And so Moses' rod becomes a tool in God's hand, strangely enough, even though it's Moses' rod. Moses' rod becomes God's symbol of authority. That's interesting. So Moses has a rod. A rod throughout Hebrew history is a symbol of authority too. And so you're going to notice the rod of iron, for instance. You're going to, so rods, if you ever hear the message canon, you'd understand the, the idea of rods. But Moses has a rod, or he has rights. And God says, throw it down. And it turns into a serpent and picks it back up. And then he goes to Pharaoh, and that rod is very symbolic. He even is going to part the Red Sea with that rod, right? It's a very, it's a symbol. It's going to uh, hold his arms above his head. You know, there's like all these different symbols uh, with this thing that Moses has entrusted to him, but God's going to say, I need that. Paul, what's that in your hand? You know that Paul had something in his hand, which was rather odd at the time? He had Roman citizenship. You know that he is, God is going to use that in and through Paul in a way that actually makes some of us uncomfortable. It's like, Paul, you, should you be appealing to your Roman citizenship? And so my point in all of this is that when you have something, it depends on who's holding on to it. Is it yours or is it God's? If you've given it to God, God can use it however he sees fit. Eric, what's that in your hand? Well, I have an American citizenship. And probably every single one of us in here, there may be some Canadians. I see Donna back there. Uh, but we have a citizenship, which is why I call them citizenship rights, we have certain things that are preserved for us that in other countries, some people do not have what we have. So the question is, are we willing to throw it down and say, God, it's yours now. You use it as you see fit. That doesn't mean he's not going to use it. <laughs> and that's the key point I'm trying to bring up. So Jesus in Luke 12 and Luke 16 is going to say, For everyone to whom much is given, from him much will be required, and to whom much has been committed of him they will ask the more. If you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, unrighteous mammon, and we're supposed to prove faithful with unrighteous mammon. Isn't that an interesting statement? If you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to you your trust, the true riches? So if we have been given something, the more we've been given, the more we're responsible for. In North America, we have been given much, which means much is required of us. However, what are we doing with what we have? If we are still holding on to our rights, old classic American style, these are my rights. Yeah, you have them. But I don't know that you're breeding life into this earth until you give them up and say, God, what do you want me to do with this life? This is now yours. These lungs, these hands, these feet, these eyes, this mouth, 
yours. My property, my resources, my bank accounts, my investment portfolio, my time, all of it belongs to you. What do you want with this? Oh, and by the way, I'm an American citizen. How do you want to use that? He'll use it. Right now, we have the ability as American citizens to do things in this world that very few people can. But many of us are sheepish about that as Christians because it's like, well, my Christianity and my Americanism are two different things. Yeah. However, Paul was a Christian who just happened to be a Roman citizen. The two models for giving up everything. Number one, you give it up to God and he removes it from you. I'm sure every one of us has gone through this at some level. The second one is you give it up to God and he uses it through you. Number, number, an example of number one, you give it up to God and he removes it from you. I gave the illustration of Paul's head. God, here's my head, here's my body. And, and God goes, thank you, and allows it to be removed from him. And Paul dies and he says to die is gain. Uh, so he was very happy uh, with it. But the point is that there's certain things we give up to God and he says, thank you. And he takes them and you don't get them back. Paul, I mean, in his new body, he got his head back. So maybe we should say it that way. But he, in this life, he, he lost his head. Number two, you give it up to God and he uses it through you. Paul's citizenship is an example of that. He's a Roman citizen and he brings it up an uncomfortable amount of times in the book of Acts. So what should we do with these capital R rights and these lowercase rights? First, we should give them up to God and be prepared to never use them again for our own pleasure. In other words, this isn't about our own pleasure with these rights. It's his pleasure. So we give them up without any expectation that we get them back. It's an Isaac moment in our life. But then, second, we should use them for the advancement of God's kingdom. If he is going to, like for instance, I still have lungs today, even though I gave them up to God. So what should I do with that? I should use them for the glory of God. I still have an appetite, so what should I use? Well, whether eating or drinking, I should do it all for the glory of God. I still have these hands, what should I do with them? I should use them for the glory of God, these feet. In other words, I still have them even though they belong to God, so what should I use them for? I should use them for the advancement of God's kingdom. So in Acts 22, it says, but when they had stretched him out for the whips, Paul said to the centurion who was standing by, is it lawful for you to flog a man who is a Roman citizen and uncondemned? (laughs) When the centurion heard this, he went to the tribune and said to him, "Uh, what are you about to do? For this man is a Roman citizen. Then the commander came and said to him, tell me, are you, a Roman, are you a Roman? And he said, yes. The tribune answered, I bought this citizenship for a large sum. Paul said, but I'm a citizen by birth. So those who were about to examine with him withdrew from him immediately, and the tribune also was afraid, for he realized that Paul was a Roman citizen and that he had bound him. Paul is going to leverage his citizenship, guess what? Not for his own preservation, because he's going to be beat up all the time. I mean, he's just going to keep getting imprisoned. He's going to keep having difficulties and sufferings, but he's going to use it to advance the gospel. He is called to stand before Caesar. And so he's going to appeal to Roman law to actually continue his imprisonment. Paul will continue as a prisoner because he appeals to Rome and he appeals to Caesar. That's a strange thing. In other words, he gives up his rights to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, but God is going to leverage his Roman citizenship for the glory of God and for the communication of the gospel in his generation. It's profound. Valuing our rights. 
Imagine you have a cardboard box on your back porch. It has been sitting there for many years. You've never opened it. In fact, you've never even been curious about what's inside of it. Have you ever had something just sort of sit around your house and it's been sitting there so long that you forget that it's there? And it's just sort of part of your house, part of your world? Well, you have this cardboard box. It's rather ugly, covered with dust, and, you know, it's, it looks old, too. And here's the question. If you've never cared about this cardboard box, you've never cared about what's inside of it, never even thought about it, what is your response if someone sneaks onto your back porch during the night and snatches it away? You don't care. Why? Because you didn't care about it in the first place. You never even knew what it was and what was inside of it. So let's do this same imagination from a different angle. You have a cardboard box on your back porch. It has been sitting there for many years. You've never opened it. In fact, you've never even been curious about what's inside of it. Now imagine that I come in with a little pst, and I say pst. There are $100 million worth of U.S. Treasury bonds inside of it, and they are yours. All right, Your interest level in this box suddenly transforms, right? Because you understood the value that was in it. Now we ask the final question again. What is your response if someone sneaks onto your back porch during the night and snatches it away? You see, when you don't know what you have, when you don't know what's in your hand, when you don't recognize that God has entrusted you with something and an opportunity in such an hour as this, it's very easy for it to be stolen from you and you have no clue about it and you don't even complain. Right now, we as the church are very vulnerable to giving up opportunities that we have to share the gospel with this earth because we are unaware of what we have been given. I am not saying that we exert our rights for our own sake. I'm saying that we understand our rights for the sake of the gospel right now. We have a window of opportunity in this world to share the truth of Jesus Christ, and I say, let's seize it. Wielding our rights. What are our rights? You just happen to be a citizen. I know not all of you, and some of you that are going to be listening to this via podcast are going to be like, oh, that doesn't fit me. But hey, you get a good uh, history lesson in education and American government here. You just happen to be a citizen in a rare form of government. It's not a government of kings, czars, and Caesars. Instead, it's a government by the people for the people. It's not a government of a king who rules over people. It's a government by the people for the people. Extremely different than any other thing in history known as a constitutional republic. This is what you are a citizen of. Isn't that, this is extremely intriguing to my mind. What are our rights? In this unusual form of government, you as a citizen are not ruled by the president, by Congress, by the Supreme Court, or by state governors. You are ruled by a law known as the Constitution. In fact, the leaders in our government are actually your servants. Did you know that? Uh, they're called servants of the people. Uh, and their chief job is to ensure that your rights are kept safe and preserved. You know that when you elect someone, that's their job. When they are sworn in, that's what they're sworn in to do, is to preserve your rights, which are declared in the Constitution. I'm just telling you. It's like Paul's Roman citizenship. You have something you don't even know you have. After the Constitution was formed, something known as the Bill of Rights was drafted up. The Bill of Rights tells the government to stay back and not threaten our clear rights under the Constitution. The First Amendment, which is going to be the first statement in this Bill of Rights, is or your first right, if you could say it that way, but we're gonna, we could call it a capital R right or a lowercase r right. It makes no difference in this. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or abridging the freedom of speech or of the press or the right of the people peaceably to assemble. Isn't that interesting in light of what we're dealing with? 
and to petition the government for a redress of grievances. So this is literally how our government is going to start out, where it's going to say, all right, the power actually lies with the people. You guys have a certain strength. It's like a little cardboard box on your back porch with a lot of value in it that people laid down their lives to give you. And you have it, but if you don't know that you have it, it could easily be taken from you and you wouldn't know the difference. But if you do know it, first thing I'm going to tell you to do is give that box back to Jesus and let him define how we as a church are supposed to use it. Because we don't throw out our Christianity, we don't throw out our kindness and our love and our peace and our patience and our willingness to suffer just because we have rights. The civil government has a job. Its immediate concern and function is the preservation of social order by restraining and punishing evil behavior and approving good behavior. That's, that's literally what the civil government is there for, nothing beyond that. And yet it's grown beyond that over the years, which makes it a little difficult right now. So I have a different way of saying it. Hopefully this is a little easier to understand. The civil government has a job, which would be like the national government. So you take like the president, the Congress, the Supreme Court, our state governments, anything. They're to protect the public order, the national borders, and the rights and liberties of its citizens. So in light of that, we could say the civil government has a job. Yes, they may overstep that. And right now, that's part of the tension that we're feeling as the church. Are they overstepping? Are we supposed to step up? What are we supposed to do? These are hard and very unique issues. But we have a job to do right now. And so we may not know exactly what the government should be doing right now or have our opinions clearly set on that, but I want us to have it set clearly on what we are supposed to do. You're supposed to believe in Jesus Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and to transfer over to him your capital R rights, your body, your breath, your future, and to lay down at his feet your rights, your unique claims of money, title, land, and privilege, that he may be the master over all you have and all you are. That we know. How we are to respond in such a time as this with our cardboard box full of rights that still needs to be defined by the Spirit of God, and some of it might be defined individually inside of all of us. First, I think it's important that we understand what we have. What's that in your hand? Most of us are like, I have no idea. It'd be good for us to know what's in our hand so that we can throw it down and say, God, this belongs to you. If you want me to use it for your glory, here it is. If you had $100 million and God says, what's that in your hand? Oh, I have $100 million. Throw it down. I want to show you what to do with it for my glory. Okay, that's a little easier for us to understand than rights. How am I supposed to use those? But you know how many people in the world would crave the rights that you have and yet you don't even know you have them? Final scripture, Matthew 16, 25. Whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Whatever you have, God's saying, will you lay it down? What's that in your hand? throw it down. He wants to use it for his glory. Father, lead us as the church. We need to know how to do this. We need to know what to let go of. Lord Jesus, we ask that your Holy Spirit would search us, examine us, and enable us to let go and to relinquish who we are and what we have. Instruct us, Lord Jesus, in what we do have and show us how to leverage it in such an hour as this. It's in the precious name we pray. Amen. We hope you have enjoyed this message by Pastor Eric Looney, delivered at the Church of Ellerslie in Windsor, Colorado. Feel free to make copies of this message, but do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without expressed written permission. 
For more information about us or to help support the ministry of Ellerslie, we invite you to visit us at ellerslie.com, E-L-L-E-R-S-L-I-E.com. Please know that you are not alone in this battle for truth, and we are cheering you on down the narrow way of the cross.